So it's Friday night, and tonight we must stop and think about how this weekend starts. What a truly remarkable journey we've been on at Central. We've been following Jesus' physical journey down through Palestine for the last few weeks um, to today, to this Good Friday, because we know that this weekend ends in victory that the sun rises on the horizon of Sunday morning. But for today, for tonight, we must stop and focus on how the weekend begins because Jesus knew exactly how the weekend was going to begin. In Luke 9, it says, Jesus set out resolutely for Jerusalem. James showed us a map a few weeks ago of the route that Jesus took down from Mount Tabor to Jericho and Adele beautifully helped us picture Jesus as he entered that town to the cries of son of David from blind Bartimaeus, each step taking Jesus closer and closer to today. You can almost imagine Jesus' sandals hitting the scorched earth, ground covered mile after mile moving Jesus forward toward the holy city, toward Calvary, to his end point. Walking is such a, a physical thing, isn't it? I think like many of us, I really rediscovered walking during lockdown and now we'll cover um, ground in the city that I would never have considered covering on foot prior to the pandemic, I'm slightly embarrassed to say. But I always have the comfort of my home to come back to, um, the joy of my safe space at the end of my journey, and probably like you, most of my walks are circular. But for Jesus, this was a one-way road. He had no joy ahead as he neared his destination, yet with every step, Jesus brought the kingdom of God. I find it incredible when I look at Mark's gospel, actually, this account we find of Jesus walking towards Jerusalem, bringing the kingdom of God with every step, thousands coming to him, and he teaches them, and he feeds them, and he heals and restores, bringing light and life and compassion with every step, persistently choosing even though these journeys end will end in his death. He wasn't a slave to the fear that he must have felt. He wasn't a slave to the fear he must have felt. He chose to make the most of every moment. Still he walked. Jesus, God made flesh, choosing to make a journey across Jerusalem, persistently choosing every step to the cross. Let's just hold that thought for a minute. We're going to read together Mark 15, verse 33 to 41. It will be on your screen um, and in your Bibles and your apps, of course, but do feel free, if you wish, just to, just to rest or even close your eyes as I read um, the passage to you, just to, to help you picture um, what Mark is drawing for us. So Mark 15, starting to read at verse 33, the death of Jesus. 
At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. Let me just pray for us. Oh, thank you, God, for your presence here tonight with us. And Holy Spirit, we simply ask that you would open our hearts and minds afresh tonight to what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. The death of Jesus was extraordinary. Everything about the life and death of Jesus was extraordinary. But this simple, unembellished account written by Mark leaves us in no doubt that something phenomenal happened at that place called the Skull, Golgotha, on this Friday night. The darkness covering the land. Darkness covered the land for three hours. Darkness prophesied by Amos and a darkness that the scientists tell us wasn't and couldn't have been an eclipse, but a reflection, perhaps, of the significance of what is happening. And the temple, torn in two from top to bottom. This vast 10, possibly 20 meter by 10 meter thick curtain that would have taken tens of men to carry, ripped in half from top to bottom. This curtain that separated the presence of God from the people of God, destroyed at the moment Jesus breathed his last. So there was a little room in the center of the temple which held the presence of God. It's where the presence of God dwelt. And this curtain is what separated the people from the presence of God. And only the high priest could go in once a year. Many of us know that. But it's good to just be reminded that we were kept out. Because, but because of what Jesus did, because of what Jesus did, that curtain did not fall to the ground. It was not pushed aside. But it was permanently and irrevocably ripped from top to bottom. Now all God's people could experience and come into the presence of God. 
Also, the vast majority of crucifixion victims died of exhaustion leading to suffocation because people could only breathe by pushing themselves up on the nails that went through their feet. And as they became fatigued, they could no longer push themselves up and they slowly lost consciousness, slowly slipping away, usually taking days. Jesus died in six hours. Possibly hastened by the, by the Roman flogging, but even Pilate was surprised that he was, he was already dead. He was like, what do you mean he's dead already? He was here this morning. He said, I don't believe it. Go away and check. Physically, there was something unusual about the death of Jesus. And in verse 39, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Some manuscripts actually say when the centurion standing nearby saw how he died with a cry, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Not a gradual slipping away from suffocation, but a cry. John recounts that one word escaped Jesus' mouth as he died. It is finished. We translate it as it is finished, but actually in the Greek it's one word, finished. Is that the word that Mark is recalling here, finished? You see, this centurion is not unfamiliar with death. In fact, he is a soldier um, um, sadly very acquainted with the savage brutality that is crucifixion, almost certainly numbed, numbed to protect himself, to protect his own humanity. But he's moved from that numbness by this death, by this particular death, by this cry. To be a witness to it alone was enough. Surely this man was the Son of God. Wow. But as extraordinary as the death of Jesus was physically, this is just a glimpse of something else that's going on. Something of such magnitude that we cannot fully grasp it. There is a seismic shift in the spiritual realm that is emanating from that wooden cross out across nations, across millennia, a cosmic eruption. And this centurion is at the very epicenter of the explosion. A Roman soldier seeing what the religiously trained could not. I'd love to tell you that I have my theology of the cross all sewn up. I'd love to tell you that tonight. I do think that there is a mystery surrounding the cross of Jesus. There are theologies that were considered to be orthodox for a thousand years and theologies that didn't really fully form for a thousand years and are now considered to be truth. But interestingly, just prior to this section we read that Jesus chose the Passover, the Passover for this time to unfold he could have chosen any other festival. He could have chosen the Festival of the Atonement, where a sacrifice was made for the sins of the people. But Jesus chose the Passover. The Passover when the Jewish people remembered God rescuing them out of slavery. What an amazing picture of what is going on. 
at the cross. Jesus on the cross rescuing us out of slavery, out of the slavery of sin and death and ultimately separation from God. This Passover was God's rescue plan. And the truth is there is something revolutionary about the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And while every generation has grappled with these truths, they have had the power to speak across nearly every cultural barrier through the centuries. One thing I am clear of, that no matter what your theology of the cross, the mystery that is our salvation through the death of Jesus, this was God's plan for us. This was God's plan for us. And Jesus was in on the plan. This week I've been, I've been really reflecting on when it was Jesus might have worked out what was going to happen. When he realized that he would die Was it before he even came into his ministry, before the wedding at Cana? We can, however, be in no doubt that he did, at some point, realize what was going to happen. And I believe that he realized it would end in a cross. You see, Tom Wright tells us that Jesus, growing up in Galilee as a boy in Galilee, could not have been unaware of crucifixion when thousands were crucified by the Romans. Uh, a death that was saved for slaves, for the lower classes, for foreigners. The point of crucifixion was to instill complete fear, complete fear in the people and bring about total submission in the land that, the, that Rome occupied. I believe Jesus knew it would be death and this death. Three times we know he told his disciples what was going to happen. And Peter objected and he said, get behind me, Satan. At the Passover supper, we know he told the disciples that one of them was going to betray him. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, of course, not my will, but yours be done. Why do I think it would be a cross? Why do I think he knew it would be the cross? Verse 36 reads, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we heard earlier, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is a direct quote from Psalm 22. But if we listen again to verse 16, they pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. Doesn't that sound familiar? Jesus is quoting this psalm from the cross. He knew. He studied this psalm prior to his death. Jesus was in on this plan. He knew. So we must be clear that this wasn't some mistake. As, as tragic and as, and, and as horrific as crucifixion was, the cross was God's outpouring of love, his perfect plan for us. So why is that important? If you take nothing else from this evening, from this Good Friday, Jesus was saying, look at me and know God. Look at me and see the Father's character and the Father's heart for you. A God who would choose to die in the place of Barabbas. A God who would choose to die in my place. This is the power of the cross. Love ran red.
Jesus came to tell us of the love of God. And if he'd refused the cross, if he'd, if he'd come down from the cross or, or walked away in the Garden of Gethsemane, this would have told us that meant that there was some limit to God's love for you. That there was something that this love was not prepared to do. That there was a line upon, beyond which this love was not prepared to go. And we are so aware that there are lines in our lives where, where love isn't prepared to go, but not with Jesus. Not with Jesus. This is the reckless love that we so easily sing about. Jesus ignored the dangers. He abandoned all human reason when he kept walking. As the song says, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights till I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, you gave yourself away. He gave himself away. But there's more, of course. When we come to the cross, when we enter the presence of our creator, we can find all that we need. We can find our greatest need. We can find forgiveness because Jesus paid for our sins. We can find peace because we discover our true God-intended identity as children of God in a right relationship with our Father. We can turn away from our old ways. We can repent and we can align ourselves with Jesus' way, can't we? And Jesus made this possible because while we were still sinners, he died for us. This is the rescue plan. And finally, I'd love us to look at the way Mark ends this passage because I think the details are really interesting. Verse 40 reads, Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, mother, the mother, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there, that had come up with him were also there. These women had journeyed up to Jerusalem. They'd come the whole way, but they had completed the journey. Men is, Mark is clearly giving credit to these women, right? It's the women who are there. The men are not mentioned. The reliable witnesses. The reliable witnesses for that culture. Is Mark making a point about the role of women? Um, very possibly, because time and again, Jesus did that, didn't he? He challenged people's perceptions and assumptions about the role of women. But I think there's something bigger going on here. Mark is saying, where are the men? Were they mentioned? Were they, were they there but, um, but, but hiding in the shadows? Were they in fear? Of course they were in fear, completely understandably. Their leader, who they'd been following for some of them years and been seen with, was being tortured to death on a cross, and they could very, very well be next. Perhaps the threat to the women was not as great, but do not be uh, ignorant of the fact that the Romans willingly and regularly crucified women. I believe the absence of the men in the gospel accounts, with the exception of John, in John's gospel, is what makes the birth of the church miraculous. And for me, is one of the key things that convinces me that Jesus is who he says he was, that Jesus was the Son of God. You see, these men are notably absent at the death 
of their Lord. Mark is at pains to show us a before. A before. And if we stop here, before the after, without Sunday, what do we have? A bunch of broken, hidden, grief-stricken, disappointed men. Friends and followers of Jesus no longer following. This is the scene that Mark is painting for us. This is the picture of the before. The men are absent, but Sunday comes. Sunday comes, and the sun rises, and the risen Lord brings those unfollowing men out of their hidden, broken places, and he turns them into bold evangelists who shout from the, from the, from the rooftops, Jesus is risen. Jesus is Lord. And they carry on shouting it. These men that are hiding tonight, they carry on shouting it, despite the fact that one by one, by one, they are picked off, persecuted, tortured, and killed. Because everything changes, doesn't it, between Friday and Sunday. So just to be clear, the point here is not about gender, but about the difference the resurrection makes to the disciples. And for each of us, man, woman, and child. When we encounter the risen Jesus, we're not the same. We're not the same again. So as I draw this to a close, I'd love us to come back to that centurion soldier. Surely this man was the son of God. Who do you say he was? This is the question for Good Friday. This is the question that we need to begin this weekend asking ourselves. Who do you say he is? Who is Jesus to you? Let me just pray for us. Jesus, we thank you. We are in total awe of you tonight. We cannot grasp the strength and the determination it took for you to choose to do this for us. You chose Jesus to die this worst inhumane of deaths because there was nothing that you wouldn't do for us. You died to save us, to rescue us, to redeem us from the power of sin and death. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Amen.